Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Donna Fiducia. And I'm Don Newen. And this is Cowboy Logic Radio. Everyone. I'm Donna Fiducia, along with Don Newen. And this evening, we have a special treat for you. Let me ask you this. What would the world be like if America never existed? For over 200 years, America has been a shining city on the hill, a symbol of freedom and opportunity for the rest of the world, an inspiration for those living in abject poverty or under oppressive regimes, a refuge and a home, a grand experiment in freedom, a prosperous land of opportunity, a force for good in times of evil and a force for order in times of chaos. But what if America had never existed? New York Times best-selling author and award-winning filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza asks, how would the world be different if America had never happened? Along the way, he uncovers the aspects of American government and life that make our country truly exceptional, retelling the inspirational story of how the world's freest country was born. America, imagine a world is both inspiring and chilling, a grim portrait of what the world could have been without America, and a warm reminder of all the things that make our country great, both for Americans and the rest of the world. Dinesh D'Souza encourages us to celebrate America and to make sure we protect her from fading away. D'Souza is an Indian immigrant to this country and proud American citizen. He fears for America's future. He loves this country and fears that unless the progressives' anti-American arguments are met forcibly and on their own terms, America will cease to be the beacon of freedom and hope that it always has been. In America, Imagine a World Without Her, Dinesh D'Souza offers a passionate and sharply reasoned defense of America, knocking down every important accusation made by progressives against our country. 
please visit the official Dinesh D'Souza website, DineshD'Souza.com. That's D-I-N-E-S-H, capital D, S-O-U-Z-A dot com. Support his great work by purchasing his books and films. And now, ladies and gentlemen, a special Cowboy Logic Radio presentation of Dinesh D'Souza's America, Imagine a World Without Her. What if George Washington had been killed by a sniper's bullet? What if the Civil War had torn this country into two or ten countries? What if Hitler got the atomic bomb first? What would the world look like if America did not exist? this country and like millions of immigrants I've been blessed by my life in America this country does something truly unique it allows you to write the script of your own life a chapter of my script was making the film 2016 It surprised Hollywood and the media by becoming a runaway hit. It became the number two political documentary film of all time. In the film, I made three predictions. The federal government would grow bigger as America's role in the world grows smaller. Under President Obama, the national debt would double. This administration would undermine our allies and strengthen our enemies. Seeing these predictions come true, I'm scared for the future of America. But I believe we can be strong again. 
unless we choose another path. A century and a half ago, a young Abraham Lincoln issued a prophetic warning. Shall we expect some transatlantic military giant to step the ocean and crush us with a blow? Never. All the armies of Europe, Asia, and Africa combined with a Bonaparte for a commander could not by force take a drink from the Ohio. At what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer that if it ever reach us, it must spring up from amongst us, cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, then we ourselves must be the author and finisher of it. As a nation of free men. We must live throughout all time or die by suicide. How do you convince a great nation to author its own destruction? You start by telling a new story. If you got a business, that you didn't build that. Somebody else made that happen. What President Obama's really saying is that the wealth and abundance of American life are not earned. They're stolen. But it's not just President Obama. Thievery was a critical element to the expansion of American empire. This is a nation founded on genocide and built, built on the backs of slaves. Moving borders are called American imperialism. Obama didn't create this movement, it created him. Not God bless America, God damn America! European expansion, conquest, colonization, genocide. American foreign policy has been aggressive and imperialist for a very long time. It was expansionist immediately starting right after the Revolutionary War. Incredible as it may seem, there are people in America who want a world without America. Their indictments against America start at the very beginning. What are the words that come to mind when you hear the phrase Christopher Columbus? A lost sailor. <laughs> Who was looking for my country. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you wish he didn't come. I wish he didn't come. I spoke with Charmaine Whiteface, a Native American activist and member of the Great Sioux Nation, whose ancestral land, the Black Hills, includes Mount Rushmore. Having Mount Rushmore here is horrible. It's, it's a symbol of oppression. It's a symbol of genocide for our people. The charge of genocide begins with Columbus enslaving 1,500 Arawak Indians and ends 400 years later in America with the Trail of Tears, where 18,000 Native Americans were forced to march 2,000 miles, leaving a third of them dead. What words come to mind when you think of the word America? Sadness. For me, it's just great sadness. 
I think of all the hundreds of nations that were destroyed. Mexican territory covered most of Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. I like Chicano nationalism. I really do prefer Hispanic culture to Anglo-Saxon culture. And you say, well, then why don't you move back to Mexico? I don't have to. I'm in Mexico. And like I tell my Chicano students, maybe after there isn't a United States, we'll still be here like the Indians. So to put it biblically, you are in America, but not of America. I'm not of America, no. Charles Trujillo is a professor of Chicano studies at the University of New Mexico. He's a leading representative of a movement trying to reclaim Mexico's lost lands. Did the United States steal half of Mexico in the Mexican War? Yes, and the wealth of those areas, California, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, the oil, the minerals, would have made Mexico a premier economic power, like it's becoming now. When I went one time with my father to Mexico to visit relatives, we were in an old classroom, and they had a map of North America up in the classroom, and it had the area that's the American Southwest from Texas to California cross-thatched with the colors of Mexico and the United States, and it named that area Provincias Perdidas, Lost Provinces. to build our way of ease and kept them enslaved and living in fear. Well, obviously, as a black person in America, it's um, a part of the wretched history of this nation that my foremothers and forefathers were not seen as fully human. I spoke to the African-American scholar Michael Eric Dyson at Georgetown University. Has Obama's election and re-election doesn't that say something about the, the end of racism? I would not deny at all that America has made enormous progress. Are we there yet? No. America doesn't want to confront the vicious inequalities that it set loose in this nation, absorbing things that are not yours, taking stuff that, that's, that's not yours. We can say thievery was a critical element to the expansion of American empire and the establishment of the American way of life. 150 years ago, at the height of slavery, Another man made an even more passionate indictment of America. To the American slave, what is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in a year, a gross injustice. Your celebration is a sham. You profess to believe that of one blood, God made all nations and hath commanded all men everywhere to love one another. 
yet you notoriously hate and glory in your hatred all men whose skin are not colored like your own. Meet Frederick Douglass. Born a slave, he escaped to freedom and became a champion of the anti-slavery movement. You can bare your bosom to the storm of British artillery to throw off a three-penny tax on tea and yet bring the last hard-earned farthing from the grasp of the black laborers of your country. There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of the United States than on this 4th of July. like to think of ourselves as a peace-loving people. If they said we're going in for the oil, we'd say no, don't do it. But instead they say we're going in for democracy. Has the United States been a force for good or ill in the world? For the people we conquered, the Vietnamese who killed a couple million of them. Not a force for good. MIT professor Noam Chomsky is a leading critic of American imperialism. And there's a reason why uh, most of the world regards the United States as a predatory colonial power. We overthrew the democratic government of Guatemala in 1954, Iran in 1953, Cuba in 1961, Brazil, Chile, Uruguay, Argentina, on through the world. It's not a pretty record. Dr. Ken Brown here, host of Gut Check Project with my co-host, Eric Rieger. Eric, we've been seeing Mojo guys over there and over here at Spoonie talk about Atrontil for bloating. I've seen in my practice that Atrontil is a whole lot more than just a bloating product. Yes, it does a whole lot more than just fix bloating because of the polyphenols that you find in Atrontil. You're exactly right. The polyphenols are those molecules that we find in the Mediterranean diet. It makes vegetables and fruits very colorful. What are some of the things that these polyphenols do? Do, Eric. These polyphenols can actually stop inflammation. They can help you have more energy. They can help you with anti-aging. And polyphenols are great for athletes. It sounds like it's going to help a whole lot more people than just bloating. Tell me how everybody should be taking Atrontil. If you want to dose Atrontil, it's two capsules three times a day, basically with your meals. But if you aren't bloated and you just want that polyphenol intake every day, two to three capsules a day will work for you. Go to lovemytummy.com slash mojo. Fast Track Student Loans can get your student loans out of default, stop any wage garnishments, stop collection calls, and stop seizure of your tax refund. Give yourself a break. Stop the stress and get your student loan payments down to as little as $25 a month based on what you can afford to pay. 800-709-4395. 800-709-4395. 800-709-4395. 800-709-4395. If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. 
everyone. I'm Donna Fiducia. And I'm Don Newen. And this is Cowboy Logic Radio. And welcome to Cowboy Logic Radio, Good evening, everyone. ladies and gentlemen. I'm Don Newen. Let me be the first to welcome you to tonight's absolutely riveting episode of Cowboy Logic Radio. Boy! Let me tell you something, Donna. We got a really big show. A really, Let me a tell really you. big show? You know, ladies and gentlemen, we took a couple of weeks off, and uh, we hope that you really enjoyed the Dinesh D'Souza films that we did air. Always wonderful to I tell listen you, to it's, those. It should be required mm-hmm. viewing for high school and college students. Oh, no, you can't do that. Because you've got to rewrite history. That's right. That's required viewing, unfortunately. What, the rewriting of yeah, history? Yeah, the rewriting of history. Yeah, that's what it is. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We did enjoy having a couple of weeks of uh, freedom, but we are back, and we want to thank you for sticking with us. Well, I want to congratulate the committee to reelect Donald Trump. You mean the squad? Yes, the squad of AOC the plus squad three. of squaws. It's the... <laughs> It's the, I think that's Boy, racist. that was politically That incorrect. was very racist. Yeah. The committee to re-elect Trump, they would be Elon Omar, Alexandria Castillo-Cortez, Elvis Presley, and Rashida Tlaib. Uh, what's her name? Ayana Presley. Yeah, Whatever. Presley. Uh, not like Elvis. No. Extra S. Oh, I see. Darn. Yeah. Oh, I guess there's no relation then. But still, they are the committee to re-elect Donald Trump. You know, when he gave that statement about... The squad. The, the squad. The squaw. The squaw squad. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You know, you ended up taking that to a whole nother level, Donald, don't you I think? Yes, I did. Hey, before you get... Before but I'm you a get, woman, although I'm a white woman. I can say that, can't hey, I? Hey, listen. For those of you that didn't see this on Facebook... I'm not a white... You know what? I'm part Sicilian. So, therefore, I must be part co- uh, woman I was of color. born cesarean. Yes, that's true. So, what does that make me? So, you're me? a minority as well. But, see, the minority is actually that may- not you the minority that, you anymore. You know what that means? What? I didn't have an exit plan. No, you didn't. <laughs> Neither did your mother. <laughs> hey, listen. Before we get into some of the headlines and stuff like that, um, I need to tell you guys a quick story that happened this past weekend with Donna Fiducia that just absolutely proves that she is a total badass and the stronger of the two sexes because if this would have happened to me, I probably would have been sobbing like a four-year-old. I found out I can still run pretty damn fast when I want to. All right, so let me set this up, Donna. So we're at the front gate of our property where there's a fence and we were clearing out some brush and, and, you know, cutting down a few trees that we wanted to... You know, just see that in and of itself is politically incorrect. We have a fence and a gate and everything, although it's open all the time. But still, you know, yeah, but I mean, we could lock it and keep all the illegals. Yes, out. we could. 
Yes, we could. And 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 before they got in, we could separate them. You know, make <laughs> make the children go over go over in that pasture and Which stand. What they are actually trying to do in the great city of Carrollton, possibly, is put five hundred unaccompanied minors in a some sort of shelter. <laughs> We just put them back in yeah, the country where exactly. their parents are. Well, that's are. another thing. So finish with All the right, story. All right, so here's what was going on, ladies and gentlemen. We're out there and we're, you know, cleaning out some, some brush and we're cutting down some trees, little trees, of course, the big ones we say for selling the paper and things like that. <laughs> um, and uh, and I'm up and I'm using a chainsaw, so you know, it's hard for me to hear. I'm up on this on this bank cutting down a pine tree and I hear Donna screaming and I turn around and she's not there. <laughs> And she's running down the dirt road. And so clearly I think something is wrong. Don't know what it is. And she's swatting at herself. And and then all of a sudden it dawns on me, oh, my gosh. And you are past this area where I was attacked. Well, and I had to run right through it to get to you and didn't even know I was running through it. And so the long story short here is that Donna had seriously pissed off an entire nest of yellow jackets. I now, had... for those of you that don't know, because you don't live in the South, the yellow jackets down here oftentimes build their nests underground. I guess it's cooler. Well, yeah, they it's also smart. protected from the elements. That's you know? true. But they, these nests can be massive. And a yellow jacket, unlike a bee or a wasp. See, I thought yellow jackets were just bees. I found out the hard way that's not the case. They are not the case. <laughs> they, they are seriously aggressive wasps and of the wasp and hornet family. Well, Donna's sitting there trying to get these things off of her. I throw her my ball cap. stuck on my pants. So that she can use it to, you know, swat them away and everything. And they're all over her. They are flying all over her. And none of them are bothering. Well, a couple of them came over to me after they realized I knew you. (laughs) But uh, the bottom line is Donna got stung like seven times by yellow jackets. Now, God, I had pants you got to understand something. This is, she is not a big woman. I mean, how tall are you? Five, four? Mm, almost five, five. Yeah, that's what they all Probably say. Probably five, four now because I'm getting older. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even soaking wet, maybe 120 pounds. Yeah. Okay. Much. To be stung by seven yellow jackets can send a guy my size to the hospital. Donna's like, man, these things sting. Do you have any dip? He's got dip in his mouth, which is the best antibiotic for anything. <laughs> well, antiseptic. <laughs> Whatever. It, yeah, it basically, it's it's a natural way to take the sting out of any kind of bite. But you got to have works. it wet. So she went for the one that I had in my mouth. And smelled like hell, but She's it sitting works. there smearing this tobacco juice all over it. And she's okay. She never. She rode horses about an hour later. Yeah, it wasn't really. I got to tell you, to do. you are bad omatic. <laughs> but you know what I? You had? are so much strong. I would be whining and complaining. I obviously, don't have allergies. Thank God. Well, the thing is, still itches a little bit right now, though. We gave her a couple of Benadryl, and then she ended up. It, it was you know hurting last. You know, well, Sunday night or whenever mm-hmm. it was. Sunday, I guess she got stung. Yeah. And uh, so we gave her an ibuprofen. And then I checked in Monday night when I got home. Jesse, did you take any more ibuprofen or uh, nah. Ben- No. Nah. She's got 
cojones the That's size of balonies. <laughs> but you know what I really think happened is I, I ha- you know those big huge snipper things that yeah. can that can cut through a branch that's probably two inches around even with relative ease. Right. What I what I was doing was I was cutting a small tree. That you know, right at the ground level, and I think which is I where stuck, the hole was. That I went think into I the stuck nest. the point of that <laughs> scissor thing right in the hole. I'm telling you something. Nest. Listen, running is something that Donna Fiducia does not do. Okay, she'll trot or she'll canter. I can sprint, and I obviously sprinted. She was hauling ass down that dirt road, our our dirt road. Anyhow. Uh, a big applaud to Donna for being a real trooper uh, and, quite frankly, a hell of a lot stronger than I would have been. A little itchy right now still. Um, before, Also, before you get into headlines, and know you got some to do, mm-hmm. uh, a shout-out to one of our listeners. I'm only going to use your first name, Scott. Okay? You know who you are. You wrote us. You talked about how you listen to Cowboy Logic Radio. Your wife loves Donna. What's that say about me, though? You know? <laughs> no uh, comment. Well, here's what it says. Let me see if I can find this. Um, let me see. Let me see. I'm just going to read. Scott, you're not going to mind if I read this because I'm not going to tell anybody who you are. Been listening to your show for a while when traveling. The wife loves Donna. So Maybe it's Scott tired. James. <laughs> no, it's not Scott James. <laughs> okay. But I am so tired of not being the guy everybody loves on this show. I mean... Damn it, I came up with the show. That's true. Uh, All right, continuing in this email, which is a great email from Scott, by the way. After listening to one of your shows, I started imitating Don (laughs) and cutting the cheese in the trunk with some, uh, in, in the truck with some friends. My wife starts punching me in the arm while I'm driving. I said, Don is even crazier on the radio. So she started punching me harder, telling me that Don is probably bruised from Donna hitting him, but we don't see it because it's on, uh, it's not on, t- on, on camera. That's true. Hey, I'm here to tell you, Scott, I'm married a New Jersey Italian. The first reaction of a New Jersey Italian is to make a fist and punch. Works with horses really well. Works with me. <laughs> if I get out of line, Scott, I get one in the shoulder, and I'm telling you, man, it ain't fun. You got to stay out of and the orbit. This coming from a 120-pound woman that can take seven direct hits well, from see, yellow I jackets. Well, see, I bees that way, too. <laughs> it didn't seem to work didn't quite get that far. I behave. I change my whatever I'm doing when I get popped by you. Yeah, that's true. Don't in I? In a way. In a way, yeah. I mean, for the most part, I'm pretty well behaved. Anyway, Scott and your lovely wife, thanks for listening. We sure appreciate the feedback. You guys, if you do want to send us anything, and and quite frankly, if you'd like to say something nice about me for a change, (laughs) instead instead of the emails that I've been getting lately, hey, cowboylogicradio at gmail.com. Just go to cowboylogic.us. We've got all kinds of stuff that's real entertaining for you to check out there, and uh, you can email us straight from the site if you want to. You know, the New York Post had a story. We're talking about, I'm going to talk about Jeffrey Epstein a little bit here. New York Post had a story. He's during, a nice Jewish boy, during Donna. The, I know. During the Obama administration mm-hmm. that um, Obama told, this is 2015, Obama told our boys in Afghanistan to ignore pedophiles because apparently that was something that was done quite a bit there. And we tried to stop it. I want to know 
In fact, I believe one of the one of the Afghani um, soldiers or one of the Afghan so the Americans that were serving in Afghanistan has been, uh, you know, really, I think, vilified for trying to do the right thing here because the rules of engagement had changed quite a bit. But it, it's very disconcerting to me how pedophilia, they're trying to normalize it on the left. It's really scary. It's totally, really scary. Well, anything, quite frankly, that is coming out of the left is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And it's not terrifying, ladies and gentlemen, where those of us that disagree with this uh, should cower and be afraid. It's terrifying that in the United States of America that the left wing has gotten to the point where they're completely unrecognizable by anybody that is a patriot of the United States. I mean, Donna, you know this to be a fact. Mm -hmm. Take go all the way back to 2008, summer of 2008, when at least I started becoming vocal in social media about how I disagreed with Barack Obama and some of his ideology. Okay, now he had not been elected yet, but it looked like he was going to be the guy for the Democrat Party. Yep. Starting then. And I don't even remember how old I was, 10, 48 years old, 47 years old. I'd gone through my entire life without ever being labeled a racist. And now all of a sudden, starting in mid-2008 and continuing to this day, I get labeled a racist if I say anything about anybody in that, that, that is either left-wing or Democrat. And you know who labels me a racist, Donna? White liberals. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's that's really the, the bottom line. It's almost like they hate themselves for the success they have. And that is typical Saul Alinsky, Cloward Piven strategy to divide and conquer. And you know where this really started? It started early on after Barack Obama got elected with the Cambridge police acted stupidly. Yeah. And, and that was really... And, and I didn't vote for him, obviously, but he really had the chance to really bring this country together. We elected a black president in a 77% white country. Try that in the opposite, in the reverse, in any country in Africa. Doesn't happen. By the way, there's slavery in most countries still in Africa, too. So I'm sick of hearing about these AOC plus threes saying how bad this country is. The squad. Donald Trump. The squad. Donald Donna, you have Trump, to refer to them as the squad. No, the squaw squad. <laughs> Donald Trump never mentioned any of their asshole countries. I'm saying that, not him. He never mentioned what country. He never mentioned them by name. He said, if you don't like it, and he didn't even say go home and stay there. He said, go back there, fix your country, and tell us to come back and, and show us how to do it. Yeah. You know? So, I'm but he's sorry. a white nationalist, Donna. Don't bad. orange man is bad. No, nationalist is American. And you live in a country, damn it. Can you imagine if she said that in her country? In her country, Elon Omar, okay, Somalia. If you are in Somalia right now, if you're gay, you go to jail, okay? I'm sorry. That's really pretty much well, what Well, either happens. that or you find yourself hanging off of a bridge. Well, that's other countries, actually. They, uh, all around that area, in a predominantly Muslim country, you better beware if you're gay, if you're a woman, you have no rights. And here she is coming here saying that we're terrible. I'm sorry. This is, it's but Sharia Donna, law is what really, it is. We really are terrible. Yeah, I know. And, and. I think that we should actually just feel bad for everything. Yeah, I know. 
He's anti-American. Dems call it racist. It's just getting old. It's really getting old. That's all I can say. And and you know what? Uh, If you don't like it, don't sit there. And when Hillary Clinton called everybody deplorable, I'm thinking to myself, that's it. She's totally just turned off just about anybody with half a brain in their backside. Every time you think it's bad, it, it gets always worse. gets more bizarre, un- twisted, weird, creepy. But you want to know something, down, Donna? And they've gone that much farther think to the about, left. Go back 10 years now. Think about all the different things that the left has thrown out. Oh, Bernie Sanders is okay. crazy Bernie. Yeah, but Ten years think ago. About all now he's of mainstream. From the Black Lives Matter thing to all the everything that's gone on. And it lasts for maybe two weeks. Yeah, then they go to something it's new. The flavor of the month. And it's just bizarre, ladies and gentlemen. If you if you're undecided at this point as to whether you're gonna vote for Trump or for that matter, any Republican, or you're gonna potentially vote Democrat, you just have to remember this one simple thing. If you vote Democrat, if any of your family members vote Democrat, if any of your coworkers or friends vote Democrat, you or they absolutely own the weird, twisted, sick, bizarre, un-American crap that that left wing is generating on a daily basis. And being from New York, I want to go one step further. If you're Jewish, you are an idiot to vote for this Democrat party because they are the most anti-Semitic party I have ever seen in this country, and it's a shame. Dove Hyken, who is congressman in New York, he's going to vote Republican. If he votes Republican, that's got to tell you something. And and this is the whole... What's the it whole, tell you, Donna? It What's it tell you? It tells you that the Democrat party is just too far gone. You know, um, I wanted to also get to uh, Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller, who dragged hundreds of witnesses... Thousands of hours of testimony, millions of documents in his bogus Russian collusion deep state 300 million plus investigation. But when it comes to him Wait testifying, 300 million, three million 30 correct. million. There you go. Correct ourselves. There. Okay. Sorry about that. 30 million. I had extra zero there. But when <laughs> yeah, it, an extra zero I here, didn't an extra write it. you might Pretty be talking soon you real talk money. About real money. <laughs> I didn't write it that way, but I read it that way. But when it comes to him Must testifying, be the yeah, really. <laughs> when it comes to him testifying, mm, uh, mm, well, you know, I, I really can't. Maybe I can only testify every other Wednesday during leap year in a month with a blue moon or something like that. You know what I really think is happening, though? I think the Democrats are hunkering down with Mueller and colluding, quite frankly, to try to get him to come out when he does testify. Because, you know, the Republicans are going to say to him, what did you know? When did you know it? Because he knew it early on. There was no collusion. Right. That he's going to have to come out and just give a couple good little sound bites to give the uh, That's fake all he news is. a little bit of, um, but he's the hashtag a, he's a double standard op-ed. is ridiculous. The hashtag double standard is totally ridiculous. Hey, oh, uh, by trivia, the way, trivia, trivia, trivia. Donna, 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 going. Donna, Donna. What? Denise Simon told me this. What's this? Guess who is Epstein's, Jeffrey Epstein's neighbor down in uh, the Virgin Islands or wherever uh, that is? Ooh, who? Do tell. Branson. Ah. Uh, now, who is Branson's uh, Brans- buddy? Um, Who's been spending a lot of time with Richard Branson? Really? Since he got out of office. Virgin Atlantic Airways, right? Virgin y- yes. Airways. But guess who does, does a lot of vacationing with Richard Branson? Bill Clinton. No. 
Who? Since he got out of office recently. Barack Obama. Oh. Ah, interesting. I know they have been it was down like in the, the islands. The minute that he got out of office, he and Richard Branson started hanging out together. Now, I'm not spreading rumors around. Not and much. I don't want you to take that that way. But they do that with Donald Trump. It's guilt by association. But, and I asked Denise, I said, he wait a minute. Stood I next thought, to, he I stood that, next to Epstein. I so thought Epstein guilty. had his own private island. So what she didn't know is whether it was on that island that he was like a neighbor or if it was another island that could be, you know, easily uh, tran- you know, transported between well, like there's a, a lot of islands ski. down there. But you know what? And, and what's really weird is this. He has like this mosque looking building that was this orgy island. No thing. windows. It's really weird. Thank you, sir. My, I have another one. <laughs> hey, the market has gained nine point nine trillion dollars since Donald Trump took office. Say but that I'm like, sure say it, that like, dude, trillion dollars. But I'm sure that only helps white males. Meanwhile, the S&P <laughs> yeah. and the Dow get yet another all time stock high. market only helps helps white people, ladies and gentlemen. The Dow was 18,000 when Donald Trump took office. It's now over 27,000. Hello? Almost $10 trillion. Actually, it's probably about $10 trillion now. Which one of the squaws said that the uh, stock market only helps white people? Oh, I don't know. Probably AOC. <laughs> she supposedly has an economics hey, degree. For the record, ladies but, and gentlemen, none of the squaws in the squad said that. We're making Democrat a joke. The Party says Funny that. Funny ha the Democrat Party actually says that. Oh, here's the other thing. And they try to outleft the left. First of all, when you're watching these stupid debates and they go, who's going to give Medicare for illegals? And they all raise their hand. I'm sitting there, okay. <laughs> How, what else Except do you like need to know? Except like two guys and they're no longer even in the right. race. <laughs> well, what else do you need to know? They and had point zero 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 one percent But how about that other jerk, the, the uh, whatever he is, the governor of, of uh, Washington? Whatever the hell his name is, I can't remember. He's going to name the woman from the soccer team. Is that true? Yes. He said if she, if he gets elected, he's going to make her secretary of state. (laughs) Hey, we got a big show, ladies and gentlemen. Donna C. Fiducia, who is coming up? Gosh, who we got tonight? We're going to be talking with Doctor John. He was in the right place. Must have been. Oh, not that Doctor John. Doctor John Eastman. just going to be talking about the citizen and the uh, census question still. Mark C. Jensen also, American Resources Corp, talking about mining in the age of the greenies. And Bob Lawson, co-author of Socialism Sucks. That pretty much says it all. Coming up next on Cowboy Logic Radio. And welcome to this edition of the Chronicles of Lower Education with me, the Fed Up Professor. Here's a profile of a random academic who's been in the news recently. Her name is Talia Levin, and she's a professor of journalism at New York University. And she tweeted last week, when did the memory of 9-11 become sacred? In what way and to whom? She said this in defense of Ilhan Omar's reference to 9-11 as that time when some people did something. And after President Trump tweeted a video alternating between Omar's comments and scenes of 9-11 destruction, Levin responded, quote, the campaign to get Ilhan Omar murdered continues a pain. That's classic leftist hyperbole. Levin objects to the religiosity of the word sacred. 
But did it occur to her that as a journalist, she could interview the families, or some of them, of the 3,000 people who were murdered that terrible day? Might the memory of their sudden and horrible death be just a little sacred to their survivors? She's not that intellectually honest, though. The New Yorker fired her from her position as a fact-checker for smearing a handicapped ICE agent. So, of course, she was a perfect candidate as a journalism professor at New York University. Her faculty profile says that she's, quote, focused on far-right extremism and social justice. She teaches a class called Reporting on the Far Right, and she provides student journalists with a thorough grounding in far-right and white supremacist movements in the United States, briefly examining their history and delving into their sprawling present incarnation. Sprawling! Levin teaches students vital tactics in identifying and tracking the spread of far-right movements online. I checked the rest of the course offerings, not a single class on reporting on the radical left. These nonsense courses are being taught on campuses across our country. Pretty depressing, huh? Oh, well, I'm the Fed Up Professor. See you next week. Check us out on the web at cowboylogic.us. Having an extra supply of food on hand is just smart. Some people call it prepping. I call it smart. You never know what's going to happen in this world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. You'll find out a lot of good reasons to have that food and some great prices. MyPatriotSupply.com.
You're listening to Cowboy Logic Radio. to Cowboy Logic Radio. I'm Donna Fiducia, along with Don Newen. And our special guest for this half hour is Dr. John C. Eastman. He lives out in California. He's a professor of law and constitutional law at Chapman University School of Law. He ran for attorney general out in California. Hey, John, I have to ask you, was, was that against Kamala Harris? Well, I was hoping to go against Kamala Harris. I didn't make it through the primary. I lost to the uh, L.A. County D.A. Steve Cooley uh, by a few points, and then he went on to lose to Kamala Harris, yeah. unfortunately. Well, it was our last chance to stop her. <laughs> and, you know, now now she's uh, off for the races for the White House, I think. Yeah. Well, we're good friends with Tom Del Beccaro, who ran up against Kamala Harris for Senate as well, and that was a mess. But anyhow, you have clerked for Judge Clarence Thomas. You're a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute, and before law school, you served as the director of congressional and public affairs at the u.s commission on civil rights that was during the reagan administration and the 1990 republican nominee for california's 34th district so you know what it's like to run a campaign john c eastman welcome <laughs> to cowboy logic radio thanks very much for having me all right now the main thing we were going to talk about is whether or not illegals should be counted in the census so give us your take on this well, I, you know, the Constitution requires that we do an enumeration, a census, every 10 years uh, for, to divide up a, a representation. But it says, you know, uh, people in their respective states and will apportion according to the population of people in their respective states. And we count that all persons, excluding Indians not taxed. Um, and many people have said all persons means you gotta, you got to count everybody who's here, no matter the circumstances. Temporary visitors, I suppose, people who are here illegally. And that really runs counter to the basic political philosophy of the Declaration of Independence, that our representative government is based on the consent of the governed, not on the consent of people who are visiting from abroad. Uh, and so I actually think the, the Indians not, uh, not tax clause excludes people who are not part of the body politic and ought to, ought to so include, exclude them. Well, you know, when you say the consent of the governed, that's true. And that should mean not the mob. And that is essentially, to me, what the left is doing. It's mob rule. Well, it, it's, it's mob rule, but it's also part of a, of, of, a, of a new international movement to destroy sovereignty, nation-state, citizenship, and borders. Uh, you know, they, they make the claim that anybody has a right to go wherever they want. Uh, uh, that kind of really destroys the notion of sovereignty. It, it destroys the whole system uh, of international law that we've had in place for centuries. Uh, and that's, that's part of the goal. And, and the way it plays out in the United States is let's not, let's not make any distinction between citizen and non-citizen. Uh, whether the non-citizens are here with our permission or even without our permission. And that it's part of a very broad strategic effort to destroy the institutions uh, that have governed us for, for centuries. Isn't it amazing that that whole thing could be fixed with one word? Uh, the statement you made a minute ago, they want everybody to be able to go everywhere or anywhere they want. If we would only add the word legally to that phrase, we could solve part of this problem, right? Well, that's right. You know, and, and you know, you think about it and you kind of put it uh, in a, on a individual context. That means I couldn't have my own house and say, I don't want you moving into my house. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, the notion of consent of the governed, which is one of the bedrock principles of the Declaration, it, 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 it's bilateral consent. 
Um, and so the question of citizenship, for example, we could we could today pass an act of Congress to say everybody in Mexico City are U.S. citizens. Um, that would have to be seen as an offer of citizenship. It only becomes realized if they accept the offer of citizenship, bilateral consent. We can't impose citizenship on others, neither can they unilaterally demand it of us. Now, as far as what is concerned to me, if you try to go against this, if you don't want everybody counted, you're racist. And I'm so sick of that. Well, you know, the United States has, uh, have citizens of uh, people from every race and every quarter of the globe. Um, the, the, the question is, uh, have you come to this country with our lawful permission uh, or have you violated our laws to get here? Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're white, red, blue, black, green or what have you. If you violate our laws to get here, then you're not a citizen. If you have come here through the normal processes, anybody of any color, of any race, of any creed can become a citizen the United States. That's what's extraordinary about us. But it still requires a, a deep appreciation of the rule of law. Well, exactly. And there comes that word again that I brought up just a minute ago. Let me ask you this. How do the liberals that are trying to get unlawful entry and counting of people that are here, unlaw- you know, unlawfully? Illegal. This is the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five O. Breaking news this hour from townhall.com. I'm Keith Peters. Senators grilled Facebook on its plans to launch a new digital currency. The new currency is called Libra. Wouldn't it be easier and safer if people could securely and inexpensively receive money transfers through their smartphones? Facebook's David Marcus says he wants the U.S. to be a leader in digital currency. But the company is still dealing with privacy issues. Facebook is dangerous. Ohio Democrat Sherrod Brown says Facebook moved fast and broke political discourse, moved fast and broke journalism. Surely they don't respect the power of the technologies they are playing with, like a toddler who has gotten his hands on a book of matches. Facebook has burned down the house over and over. David Marcus says Facebook will take the time to get this right. Ed Donahue, Washington. In the House today, tempers boiled over after debate on a resolution to condemn President Trump. Republicans triggering a lengthy delay when they demanded that Speaker Nancy Pelosi's words calling the president's tweets racist be taken down. During the delay, acting Speaker Emanuel Cleaver had enough. I dare anybody to look at any of the footage and see if there was any unfairness. But unfairness is not enough because we want to just fight. I abandon the chair. Cleaver throwing down the gavel and leaving the chair. Democrats eventually voted to overrule the parliamentarian's decision and leave Pelosi's words intact. Capitol Hill correspondent Wally Hines reporting. The House eventually voted to condemn President Trump for his tweets about four Democratic congresswomen when he said if they didn't like the USA, they could go back where they came from. Planned Parenthood's leader is gone after just eight months in office. Dr. Leanna Wynn says she was dismissed at a secret meeting today in New York City. Dr. Wynn tweeted that she and the abortion providers board have philosophical differences. She had been the first doctor to head the organization in decades. On Wall Street, the Dow on by 23 points. The Nasdaq dropped 35. More on these stories at townhall.com. We would like to remind all of our listeners that the views and opinions of the show hosts and their guests appearing on Mojo Five O Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Cuddle Me Buff LLC, its owners and partners, or this network. Thank you for listening to Mojo Five O Radio. Mojo Five O Five O.
You know what makes you feel really good about yourself? Doing something good for somebody else. If you'd like to do that today, go to JDRF.org. Join them in the fight against type 1 diabetes. JDRF.org. It's something good you can do for the world. JDRF.org. Rates based on a man age 42 with no tobacco use of any form for 20 years. Policy number 25. Policy underwritten by various life insurance companies. Premium includes a $50 policy fee. Rates and underwriting criteria. Subject to change at any time. Not available in some states. You've heard those term life insurance ads with their rates read very low. And at the end, they have a long disclaimer read extremely fast. Why? Because most people like us will never qualify for those rates. It's just a way to get you to call. Listen, at the Term Lifeline, we'll never quote you a low rate hoping you'll call, then try to sell you something else. But we do promise to get you the best rates available on policies of $500,000 or more with professional service. Don't waste your valuable time. Get the real rates you want on term life insurance policies of $500,000 or more from the Term Lifeline. Call now 866-521-TERM 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 that's 866-521-8376 now you can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline tickets book a flight today to london paris madrid or anywhere else you want to go and pay a lot less guaranteed call the international travel department right now at low-cost airlines 800-452-1075 800-452-1075. That's 800-452-1075. Control shaming 24-7. Mojo 5 Hello, everyone. I'm Donna Fiducia. And I'm Don Newen. And this is Cowboy Logic Radio. Welcome back to Cowboy Logic Radio. I'm Donna Fiducia, along with Don Newen. And our special guest for this half hour is making his debut here on Cowboy Logic Radio. And we're going to be talking about energy. His name is Mark C. Jensen. He is the CEO and chairman of the board of American Resources Corp. Unless you're Barack Obama, then it's, yeah, it is Corp, right? As opposed yeah, to Corp. Yeah, it's Marine Corps. Marine Corps, right. yes. Okay. Which acquires, restructures, and builds mining operations over the past decade, actually during the Obama years mostly. And um, he's appeared on Fox Business. And uh, we want to find out how the Green New Deal is going to go along with what he does for a living. Um, the website is AmericanResourcesCorp.com, Facebook, American Resources Corp, and on Twitter, American, uh, Amer Resources. So there's two R's there, A-M-E-R Resources, and that is your Twitter handle. Mark C. Jensen, welcome to Cowboy Logic Radio. Well, thank you for having me on. So tell us about your company, exactly what they do. Yeah, absolutely. So we uh, we are one of the fastest growing metallurgical coal producers in the United States. Uh, mostly, what we do is we acquire and or build out uh, mines that are very low cost and provide coal that goes into the steel making infrastructure market 
um, for basically everyday uses that Americans can't go a day without touching. You know, it, it seems like everything is anti-mining. I mean, the Green New Deal has to be uh, <laughs> devastating, actually, for a business like yours. And, and these greenies, these tree-hugging dingbats, as I call them, keep pushing it. How are you going to deal with this? Well, and that's the, I mean, the, the, the it's a joke of, um, from all reality. I mean, nothing in the Green New Deal is even feasibly possible, let alone the people that are proposing it can't go one hour of one day without touching products that, is, that are generated or, or manufactured using coal. Um, it's, uh, it, it would be devastating if, if there was any reality to it, but in all reality, she's out there touting off and, 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 and filling people's heads with fallacies purely to get votes by using fear. It's basically the same thing that dictators use in Venezuela and other countries. So, Mark, let me ask you this. How were you able to acquire these mines and even conduct business in a profitable manner during the Obama years? Or was he not quite as harsh as uh, as we may think? How were you able to do that during those eight years? Yeah, I mean, we... One, I do think we are a unique company. Um, we focus on efficiencies and productivity. Where, from from that standpoint, I mean, in any business or in, in in any economic growth of any nation, you should really always focus on what's the most efficient and most useful way of of, of producing products. Um, during the Obama administration, I mean, in all reality, he he talked a lot about the green policies and all that stuff. His second term, because during his first term, he basically failed. And so he had to use something to try to get reelected, and he did, and he, and he went on the idea that he's going to be an environmentalist, even though he actually did basically nothing. Um, I mean, he proposed a lot of things that never went into, into place, and a lot of his uh, bills that he did pass at the end of his term, he knew because Trump was getting reelected and wouldn't repeal them. Um, but, uh, I mean, we, we definitely focus on efficiency, and that's what we think that free trade should reign and should, should be uh, how the economy grows and how the United States – uh, survives and and uh, and, be, and continues to stay as one of the greatest nations in the world. Well, clearly, in a capitalist system and a free trade system, which I think it's safe to say that all of us embrace, the only way really to be successful is through efficiency, and so it makes total sense. I was just uh, I was just curious because he was so anti coal, so anti mining. I mean, it was like. It was like something that the Antichrist might be doing. Yeah. And uh, and for you to be able to prosper during those years, hat tip to you, man. Thank you. So let me ask well, you. Uh, I appreciate oh, that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I think it was a testament to the people that we have working for us and, and our plan. Coal really is the key to cleaner. And, and that's the other thing. Clean coal technology is there. And why do... Do these politicians never talk about that? It really is. Coal is really the cheapest form of energy that can help people throughout the whole world. But just like any other socialist, which really is a communist, light, they attack any kind of industry and and basically have misery for everybody else. If they go against the coal industry, people are not going to be able to heat their homes. And obviously it's a huge problem. I mean, it would be devastating if you think about it. Um, baseload energy is what we need to be for for anybody to power their homes and to make sure that the hospitals are running and, and make sure that people have air conditioners during the sweltering heat. I mean, if you look at it, last year in 2018, the United States generated three percent, three percent 
of the energy from wind and solar, yet we spent $52 billion in subsidies to support that. 3%. The fossil fuels industry provided over 80% of the, of the country's energy. And, I mean, it's, it's just a ridiculous thought to say we're going to replace 80% of the country's energy by using something that needs to be subsidized heavily to work. And then look at California, for example. Two weeks ago, I had a friend post that they work for the University of Stanford, and it was 91 degrees in their office. And the reason it was 91 degrees in their office is because they're rationing power. How ridiculous in a first-world nation, a nation that has led other countries to try to do what we do, to start rationing power when we're one of the most resource uh, – we have one of the most abundant resources in the world in our, in our country. Well, the I mean, problem the problem is California is is running its state much like that of a socialized country, and in a socialized country, you do see a lot of rationing. Um, let me ask you this: Let's contrast the United States and what we're doing with coal with Europe. You know, last week we see reports that uh, that uh, that that Europe is experiencing major, major, major heat waves. Even to the point where in Spain you've got manure that is that's exploding. <laughs> that methane, that yeah. darn methane. What is what's the big difference between the the type of coal uh, energy use here in the United States that you've that you've cited statistics is is enormous, and what's going on maybe over in Europe where we've got manure exploding? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, really, think about it. They're just—they actually are pushing the green agenda harder than anybody. Right. And now, I mean, in in Spain and in France and everywhere else, I mean, they're having the same issues. I mean, people are literally swimming in monuments and pools of monuments to stay cool. It's it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it you can't support a nation like that. It, their cost, their utility cost, there is gonna is just jumping astronomically, and, and will continue to as they start to really feel the effects of, of some of the policies they're, they're pushing forward. What kind of coal production do you now? find in Europe? I mean, compared to the United States, what's, what's the level of coal production over there? Uh, very minimal now. They have, they have coal deposits over in Europe, um, but they and Poland and some of those other locations, but they're shutting them all down because of, because of the socialist policies that they're <laughs> pushing forward. And you know the people that it affects. I mean, it doesn't hurt the people that are – upper middle class and above the people right. that are poli- it doesn't affect our politicians that are making $174,000 looking for another $4,000 raise. Right. It affects the retirees that are on fixed rate fixed incomes. It affects the lower to middle, the middle class, lower income because they're, they're disposable income. That's the, the cost of, ut- of energy generation and their utility bills. If they jump up a hundred, $200 a, a month, that's a big number for them. Yeah, it is. We're talking with Mark C. Jensen. He's the CEO and chairman of the board of American Resources Corp., which uh, acquires, restructures, and builds mining operations uh, and throughout the country. And he started this actually during the Obama years, uh, years rather than I'm, years. That was a Freudian slip. <laughs> That was good, Donna. That was I good. swear I didn't plan that. Anyhow, but between the Obama ears, <laughs> yes. right? <laughs> but the situation that really surprises me, Mark. Oh, let me just tell everybody uh, on Twitter it's Amer Resources. So there's two R's: A M E R, like American Resources. Facebook, American Resources Corp., and also the website, AmericanResourcesCorp.com. How much of our coal goes to China? Uh, there's uh, on the metallurgical side. There's about three million tons, uh, but China is 
desperately needing to acquire additional coal. I mean, uh, in the United States, we exported over 100 million tons of coal last year. So as far as China is concerned, though, with all of the trade policies that are going on, is that affecting your business at all? Um, I mean, you're seeing more uncertainty and hiccups, but from a long-term perspective, I mean, these the tariffs and the trade bills, I mean, I'm, I'm supportive of what President Trump is doing. He's focusing on fighting for American exceptionalism, where if you look at it, it's – I want a better trade deal. These trade deals that Obama entered into and these – this deal with Iran and all that stuff. I want our country to thrive. I mean, we're named American Resources for a reason. I have two brothers that work for our company that are both military veterans, and they fought for this nation to be the best nation. And now we're, we need to enter into the best trade deals, and we don't have them today. Now, with what Trump's doing, he's making them better, and some of the uncertainty in the short term is going to be significantly better for us in the long term. Mm-hmm. I agree. This may be a, a question that's a little bit out of your circle, but I, and I could be completely wrong, and, and you may have a quick answer for me. What is the vibe that you're getting from coal workers, those of which that I would assume many of which are union workers, with regard to their support for Trump? In actuality, we have no union workers in our company, um, and the union in the coal industry is kind of diminishing because they realize that it doesn't really do anything for them. Um, but from the coal workers in general, I mean, Kentucky, which is historically a Democratic state, is, I mean, every, every one of my guys, their hard hats have, not every one of them, but majority of them have Trump stickers on their hard hats, where historically they used to be very Democratic individuals. Um, I mean, they, they love what he's doing. They love that he's fighting for them. I love the way they say, well, you, the, if the market is going up, it only helps the rich. I guess people don't realize if they belong to a union, chances are it's invested in the market. So their 401ks and their uh, retirement, uh, everything really that they have as far as their retirement money is going up because the market is going up. And I do believe it's because of Donald Trump because things were stagnating. I know as, a, as we have 62 acres. And Obama wanted to come in and call, if we got two or three inches of rain, a little area where our water drains out. A navigable waterway. It was a whole Mm -hmm. attempt at a grab at private property. And luckily all that stopped. I can't imagine what would have happened if Hillary got in. Mark, can you talk a little bit about the green technology with coal? Because coal really does, and, and natural gas in general, the resources to get them out of the ground is much cleaner than it's been, correct? Well, a- absolutely. I mean, one, the efficiencies and, and the amount of materials that are used to produce coal nowadays. I mean, there's, it's so much more of an efficient, safe process. But then on top of it, I mean, one of the things that Trump just did a couple of weeks ago was huge in that we have all the technologies that China is utilizing to build coal, coal-fired power plants over in, in Asia and, and even in India, the facilities they're building are just so much more efficient and so much and so much more advanced than what we have today because the utilities here in America couldn't, under the regulatory bodies, couldn't upgrade their facilities to the newest technology because they would have been taxed and held at higher standards and the regulatory bodies would have basically put them out of business by upgrading their facilities. How ludicrous is that? I remember uh, that at one point Obama said, well, you can build a coal plant, but, you know, we're going to have all these regulations, so it's not going to be feasible. I'm like thinking to myself, just like you said, it's not going to affect anybody except the little guy who unfortunately votes for these Democrats because 
you know, they're, they think they're a Democrat uh, that's more along the lines of a John F. Kennedy. And that is not the case at all. Obama actually, during through his policies and through these liberal agendas that are being spewed today, I mean, I watch both of the debates. They want us to basically, if you think, you want to look the equivalent, it's, it's like driving a car without a catalytic converter in it. Uh, basically, just go back to the 1940s and 1930s and the pollution that those cars put off because of how they were operating. That's what they're forcing us to do for utility generation today. When we have the technology to run it cleaner, the, the policies and the fallacies that the, the liberal liberals are spewing are actually making the planet dirtier than just using the new technologies today that are widely available. It's, it's crazy. I remember in the past, we interviewed some friends from West Virginia who had coal mining in their family, a lot of family members that worked there. And they said that when Obama was president, there was clean coal technology. There was ways, I guess, to stop black lung disease because they had uh, some sort of vacuum, I guess, that could take a lot of the dust out. But then the EPA came in and didn't allow them to use it. So in West Virginia, they and they still today have challenges. The, I don't know if it's the EPA, but MSHA and Mine Safety and Health Administration is regulated very differently and at the state and, and federal level. Um, but what they're called, those vacuums are called scrubbers. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they're and they're used today. And, and you go underground in a mine, you can be within 10 feet of where they're actually cutting coal at, and there'll be no dust. It'll be as clean of air as you could possibly imagine. Now, back in the day, that didn't used to exist because of, I mean, the new ventilation systems we use today, the scrubbers on the continuous miners that we use today. I mean, it just creates such a better working environment for our people, which is great. I mean, that's that's what we need. We need to always be looking for new and better ways to do things. Let me ask you this. With the uh, onset of the snowflakes and the the you know the the younger generation that's coming up that is feels that they're entitled to absolutely everything are we in any risk of losing coal that we can give to these kind of children at christmas <laughs> i think the, the coal industry will continue to thrive um <laughs> may have to deliver. i mean clearly that was a, that was a joke that was a joke it wasn't a very good one but it was a i thought it was no, funny they, as long as i think it's funny it's okay <laughs> Um, the way they pout and cry, they need some coal in their stock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. What up? You know, you touched on it just a minute ago, and and I wanted to get into the safety in the mining. Although, uh, while you're an expert in this, you know, we're we're kind of talking about the green thing and the energy thing. How it, it the the casualties that take place in mines outside of the black lung. Mm-hmm. Has it reduced enormously in, say, the last 50 years? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it's one, it's just different working conditions. I mean, it's new technologies. It's it's better systems. Um, it's just more advancement. I mean, so much more of it is, is now mechanicalized versus using human bodies to do it. So the humans are still running it, but they're running it from a safe distance now. Um, I mean, so that's, I mean, and that's with everything, like, right? That's yeah. using new technologies and using advanced systems. You can keep people safer. No different than running better utilities. You can keep people safer. We don't have to worry about rationing power. Exactly. Exactly. If you had the opportunity to sit down with Trump and his administration in, in some type of a cabinet meeting, what would you say? What, what do you need from him? We, we need economic growth. Um, we need to continue to focus on what's best for the economy. When the economy is doing better, all people are happier and, and people are more productive. 
Um, it takes away stress. I mean, in my area, the biggest challenge we have is, is drugs ran rampant during the Obama administration. And the reason was because he did cause problems and he created uncertainty and, and negative perceptions that people were laid off and what they naturally revert. These are highly productive people that got laid off from their jobs and had to go home to their families and say, I can't support you today because of what's going on in our, in the, in the political administration. Mm -hmm. And so they got depressed and they ran to drugs and it's horrible. It's horrible in our area. And the one thing I want to see is those people to get clean, get back to work and, and feel productive again, and support their family. So what I would ask Trump today, continue to push for American exceptionalism, continue to drive positive perception of the economy and, and continue to support what's going to put our country in a stronger position year over year. And from a regulatory body, listen, I'm a free enterprise guy. I want all regulations to go away and, and I want the best man to win. If solar can truly be more affordable and a baseload energy source, then it should win if it's cheaper. But it's not. So until that happens, we're going to continue to thrive. And, and let's fight on a level. If we can fight on a level playing field, I'm all for it. We're ready for that battle. All right. Now, flip the coin. Now you're in front of all the mental patients that held debates this past week. What do you say to them? Quit lying. Quit lying and quit selling fear. We're not in Venezuela. You're not a dictator. Don't lie to the American people and tell them things that just physically could never happen. Don't promise people things for free. You, you, there is nothing in life that's free. My family raised me that if I want something, I have to earn it. And, if I, and to earn it, you have to get off your butt and work hard. Don't lie to people and tell them you're going to give them all this stuff for free. You're not going to give them $1,000, every person $1,000 for free. That's stupid. Focus on what actually can be done right. Quit lying for votes. Quit being socialists. Quit being dictators. Focus on reality, not lies. I would say to him, drill, baby, drill. <laughs> That's what I'd say to him, too. So Trump has decreased regulation substantially, though. Am I correct on that line, Mark? He has. I mean, he is, uh, he is, he is doing a good job of pushing that through. I mean, it does take time, and I understand that. Um, and he has, he has done a good job of, of pulling back on the regulations to make them more reasonable and realistic, and I think he's going to continue to do that. Um, and then just not passing additional regulation. I mean, obviously, from the safety perspective, we want nothing more. We want more for our men to be safe than the, than the regulators do because we have to go to bed every night worrying about that. But from a regulatory body, just stop passing regulations and, and let people focus on putting their money into productive things and safe and efficient things. Yeah. Unleash the American economy and it always works. When I went on your mm -hmm. website, AmericanResourcesCorp.com, there are pictures after pictures of these huge holes in the ground. And then right along the edge, you know, there's trees. So how do you uh, balance that as far as all of the mining that you're doing to pull the coal out of the ground as well and then have it, you know, in the middle of an area where you're going to have quite a bit of, uh, of nature? Absolutely. So we, I mean, we obviously operate in mountainous areas and, and wooded, wooded areas. The the core focus of our business is obviously putting back the land to its original state when we're done with it. And and we do that. And not only are we required to do it, but we also put extra effort to do it. And then also, I mean, in our area, in eastern Kentucky, you there's no flat land there. I mean, the hospitals are the airports. The schools are all built on old mine lo locations where they actually have created usable space again. I mean, people hate mining, yet they're going to put up a massive building and, and tear down. I mean, in Fishers, Indiana, there's more development going on here than anywhere. And so it's we actually bring our land, once we're done with it, back to the original state, and nature takes back over again. Nature is the most resilient uh, 
thing in the world that I've ever seen. I mean, if you leave something abandoned for 10 years, it, it actually grows back on its own. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. amazing. We, we, we have really a, exactly we have a hundred acres behind our house that used to be a horse pasture, and someone else owns it. And we used to ride on it periodically. I hadn't gone back there for a number of years. There's trees that are twenty feet high already because he stopped mowing it and and bailing hay on it. And it's basically amazing how fast Mother Nature comes back. And the same thing, like out in California, they have so many problems with wildfires because they try to leave Mother Nature alone, and they have a way of thinning themselves out with these wildfires. Nobody realizes that. But what mm-hmm. you're saying is, is because of all the mining that you're doing, when you fill it back in, I guess, it's more level, so it gives more usable land for the people? I mean, every school... Every hospital and every airport in eastern Kentucky are built on old mine, mine lands. And that's because it was it created productive land that they could build nicer schools and nicer hospitals, which which ultimately are used are built using severance tax from coal mining, uh, which is great. But it's I mean that's that has created the usable land in there. I mean if you look at any coal miner and including myself, the reason I fell in love with it was one, I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed the people. But more importantly, I, w- I used to work in an office in New York City. And now I get to, I get to actually enjoy the environment now. Mm-hmm. I mean, most coal miners are more environmentalists than than AOC or Michael Bloomberg, who's made his billions of dollars building buildings and selling computer chips made with coal. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Everything falls back onto coal, doesn't it? I mean, look at anything from medicine to water filtration systems to steel to plastics. I mean, so many. Most people have no idea. Most people don't know that your iPhone screen is made with a silica produced in coal. If you start if you start attacking the coal industry, I, I would challenge AOC and I would challenge Michael Bloomberg to go one hour of one day without touching something made from coal. And I guarantee you they couldn't do it and they wouldn't even know that they were doing it. That's what you need to say to all the millennials too. Mark C. Jensen, unfortunately, we're out of time. Find him at AmericanResourcesCorp.com. Look at what the company does. It's a wonderful company. They are on the cutting edge of technology as far as getting the coal out of the ground. Facebook, American Resources Corp. And on Twitter, Amer Resources. Why do I have trouble saying that? A-M-E-R Resources. So there's two R's there on Twitter. Mark C. Jensen, thank you so much for joining us here on Cowboy Logic Radio. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Coming up next, Bob Lawson, co-author of Socialism Sucks. Kind of uh, says it all, doesn't it? It's coming up next on Cowboy Logic Radio. Hi, it's Doc Thompson for Matthew 25 Ministries. Matthew 25 Ministries is one of the few charities I'll actually endorse because I know them. I've worked with them. And I know almost all of the money that you donate goes to help people. Go to m25m.org. m25m.org. Never Forgotten Apparel is more than just a premium women's and men's clothing line. It's a movement to remind us to wear American-made and serve those who serve us. Our heroes. Never Forgotten Apparel gives 20% of their total sales to nonprofits that support homeless veterans and off-duty firefighters, and 50% to individual veterans and firefighters in need nationwide. Check out NeverForgottenApparel.com. Use promo code MATT, M-A-T-T, and get 15% off your purchase. Got an old car? 
You can donate it, whether it's running or not, to the United Breast Cancer Foundation and save a life. They'll even come and pick it up for free. The United Breast Cancer Foundation has saved hundreds of women's lives through their free or low-cost breast screen exams. But now they need your help. The United Breast Cancer Foundation wants to save more lives through early detection by offering women free or low-cost breast screening exams. And donating your old car, SUV, or truck, whether it's running or not, helps pay for them. Plus, you get a charitable tax deduction. Help the United Breast Cancer Foundation save lives by donating your old car, SUV, or truck. Call now for free pickup. 800-245-0823-800-245-0823-800-245-0823. Call right now. That number again is 800-245-0823. Having an extra supply of food on hand is just smart. Some people call it prepping. I call it smart. You never know what's going to happen in this world. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com. You'll find out a lot of good reasons to have that food and some great prices. MyPatriotSupply.com. You're listening to Cowboy Logic Radio. to Cowboy Logic Radio. I'm Donna Fiducia, along with Don Newen. And Bob Lawson is our special guest to close out the show. Bob and a friend named Benjamin Powell decided to kind of visit some socialist countries and see what it was like to live there. And the whole thing culminated in a book... I just, Bob, I have, the, the book book title is just the best. Socialism Sucks. Two Economists Drink Their Way Through the Unfree World. Bob Blossom, welcome to Cowboy Logic Radio. Hi, Donna. Good to be here. That's just the best. It really is the best title. So explain how this all came about. Well, it kind of started with a drunk text from Ben to me, and he was flying somewhere, and he said, hey, let's combine the two things we like most. Uh, economics and drinking and traveling. I guess that's three things, but he was drunk. So, And uh, we went to Cuba, figured out to go to Cuba. We could write off, uh, if we write a book chapter and, and try to get it published, we can write this off our taxes. So it kind of started the track ta- a, a tax dodge slash uh, drunken vacation in Cuba. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another. Next thing you know, we're in Venezuela, Sweden, North Korea, well, border of North Korea, you know, Russia. <laughs> And we're just sort of we're going for the Anthony Bourdain style, you know that fun, sometimes crass, exciting Anthony Bourdain style. But we wanted the the substance of Milton Friedman. So it's sort of Anthony Bourdain and Milton Friedman have a baby is the way I like to, think, <laughs> to describe the book. Why didn't you take Paul Krugman along with you as a tour guide? Well, I don't think Paul could keep up with our drinking, to be honest. Uh, we'd, be, we'd be sending him home to the hotel room about seven o'clock. Uh, ben and I are accomplished alcoholics, so. Um, you know, really a large part of the book is about, <laughs> about that. And at the end, beer kind of became a metaphor um, for socialism. As we went from country to country, the, 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 the beer market told you actually a lot about how the, the, the economic system of the country was working. 
Now, as you traveled through these various socialist and communist and Marxist countries, was there a suck level that you were establishing? I mean, who, who sucks the most? Who could actually correct the suckage if need be? And, and I'm being serious. I'm tra- you know, we're, we're adding a little humor to the, is to, to the whole thing. Is suckage a word? But it is if I say it is. Oh, okay. All right. But, uh, you know, what was the worst? What, would, what do you see could be corrected? And with these countries that you do see that there could be a correction, what would you suggest they do from an, econ- you know, an economist standpoint? Yeah, well, you know, let me let me use beer as an example because I mean the degree of suckishness, if that's a word, uh, of the beer kind of kind of told you a lot. So one of the first chapter, the first chapter actually is is called "Not Socialism Sweden." We wanted to get it out of the way that we don't think Sweden's a socialist country, and part part of the reason I know it's not a socialist country is because the beer in Sweden's really good. Uh, excellent beer. Um, uh, it is very expensive. As we all know, Sweden has really high taxes, so the beer was good but expensive. But the fact that it was good told me we're not in a socialist country. Um, if you go to – when we get to Cuba, um, there are – and one of the things about socialism is they tell you it's going to give you equality. They, they sell equality when, when they're selling the idea of socialism. But what it delivers most of the time isn't equality. It's sameness. And there are exactly two, count them, two beers available in Cuba. There's a light one called Cristal and a darker one called Bucanero, and that is it. And you can find it. It's available. But there's two. <laughs> you walk into a 7-Eleven in America, you're going to find 45 times the beer. You go into a craft brewery, you know, you'll see hundreds. But if you go so, into a 7-Eleven, uh, you have to have a slight yeah. Indian accent, though. Of course, of course. But, you know, so so... You know, when you, one of the essences of, of socialism is uh, once the state takes over the economy, the state is in charge of what gets produced. And if they decide there's going to be two kinds of beers, well, suck it up. There's only two kinds of beers. I don't care if you want different kinds. What Market about economies the- like you live in give us lots of beers. Yeah, you know, and we do take that for granted. And how many times uh, when I listen to Mark Levin, he goes, you go into a store, just like you said, there's 50 different kinds of everything. So you can choose whatever you want. We take that for granted here. How about heavier stuff? Like I spent a week one and it seemed like a year in Moscow for the Moscow Music Peace Festival when I was in rock and roll radio. So we're talking about like the mid 80s when Gorbachev was president there so we go in there and at first we get met by a a guy who is in a polyester suit but you could tell it was a nicer suit than what most people have and he's got his little worn out briefcase and he was basically our guide but you know darn well he was keeping an eye on us he was your paul krugman yes he was i guess but he didn't go into the beer he went into the vodka okay so by on Sunday, he was very clean cut and everything was fine. Now, this is August, and you know they don't have too much uh, deodorant in those countries either. Three days and later, was- he's walking around. He's got a pee stain in that nice polyester <laughs> suit, and he's thrown yeah. up twice. Well, not in front of yeah. us, but he smelled pretty darn bad, and he reeked. Now, they say you can't smell the vodka. I'm sorry. If it's bad enough, yeah. you can. And by the end of the week, it was horrible. And what happened was he started getting more comfortable with us, but you know he was part of the KGB. He was keeping an eye on us. But the whole thing there was... Uh, Vodka and the Russians do know how to make vodka. So, did you get into the heavier stuff in these really heavily communist countries? Well, yeah, sure we did. We did go to Russia. Of course, we went to Russia just a few, year, you know, year and a half ago or so. So by now, it's not terribly different. In fact, the title of that chapter is 
hungover socialism. They're not hung, they're not socialists anymore, but they're still feeling these sort of after effects of it. Um, and you know, I didn't have the chance to go to the Soviet Union, um, but uh, when we were in in Moscow, we had we ordered at several different places like a a Russian vodka flight, you know, where you get six or seven in a row and you can taste the differences of things. And I guarantee, I guarantee you that the quality and the variety, again, the variety being key here of, of Russian vodka today is just, you know, a light years difference than what it was available in Soviet times. Mm -hmm. We mentioned this also in the wine market in, in Georgia, the, one of our last chapters, we went to Georgia. Georgia is reformed. It's a capitalist country really now. Soviet but Georgia, Soviet that times, is. Not where yeah, we Soviet are, Georgia. outside Atlanta. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it, and in Soviet times, they produce wine in Georgia. It's got a good climate. It's like California. And, and, but they produce like central plan wine. It was just, you know, gall billions of gallons of just swill. I mean, drinkable, but barely drinkable wine. And what ha what's happened in the last 20 years uh, since the Soviet Union fell, uh, Georgia has returned to a essentially a craft, wine-making industry, and it's become a sort of worldwide mecca for wine tourists to go to, to Georgia because they have, uh, they have varieties that don't exist in the rest of the world. They also have some techniques that don't exist in the rest of the world. And all of this is new. Um, you know, in Soviet times, they just made whatever the, the planters up north in Moscow said, and they made, you know, very similar wine to like you would get in sort of the worst, you know, gallows from California. We're talking with, um, Bob, I was going to say Robert. Well, on your book, it says Robert Lawson, but we're talking with Bob Lawson, who, along with his friend Benjamin Powell, wrote a book called Socialism Sucks, Two Economists Drink Their Way Through the Unfree World. And you can find it on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all the usual spots. Don had a question. Well, Bob. I wanted to pick up after uh, with, with regard to something that you just said. I am finding, at least in my non-economist opinion, that a lot of these communist and, and socialist countries are realizing the government, the, you know, the, the ruling class of those countries are realizing very quickly that capitalism, capitalism is the way to go. They all embrace and like capitalism. They just don't want to spread that joy to all of the serfs, all of the the, the lower class individuals. Yeah. Uh, did, you, did you see that as well? Is that a valid comment that I'm making? It, it, yeah, it's close. I mean, there, there's really only three countries right now that are actually socialist. I mean, Cuba, North Korea, and I, I, I'd add Venezuela to that. But the mm -hmm. rest of the ones that are nominally socialist, like, say, China, the title of our China chapter is fake socialism. I mean, they, they say they're socialist. They say it's Communist Party. But the reality is if you go to Beijing and Shanghai or Shenzhen, you see, you know, Gucci stores and the Gap, and, and it, it looks just as market. And, and in fact, it is a market economy more or less now. Uh, I think the leadership in China recognized, and Deng Xiaoping uh, especially recognized, that, that uh, you know, socialism doesn't work. It, it, I mean, it literally kills people. Millions and millions of people died in, in China in the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution. And they realized it wasn't working. And... Uh, so they, they have reformed the Chinese economy to the point where it's no longer, I think, you can classify it as socialist. But they still want to be in power, and that's the sort of quandary for the Chinese leadership. They want to have a capitalist economy because it knows it provides them the goods and, 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 and the wealth that, that goes with capitalism. But they want to remain in power, and so they're trying to do this sort of dance right now where they maintain a totalitarian political control uh, of, of the sort of – 
political system, freedom of speech is, you know, religion and, and, and uh, press, but let people sort of buy and sell and produce freely. And that's not an easy combination to pull off. Uh, and they really are struggling with it. One of the, you know, one of the things when we went to Beijing, it was just such a, it was, it was almost like being in New York. It was as free markets feel, the feel of Beijing is like Manhattan. Yeah, but when you get but, out into the countryside, the poor people there, unfortunately, uh, don't have any of this. They don't have as many beers to choose from. Yeah, indeed. So China is kind of multiple multiple systems inside the, its own country. Uh, you know, but the, the, we attended a conference in Beijing, and it was really cool. We talked about the economist Friedrich Hayek, the Nobel Prize winning economist. We talked about the philosopher author Ayn Rand, and it was really mm-hmm. surreal. We're talking about Hayek and Rand. In Beijing, in China, you talked about <laughs> it, Ayn Rand. Wow. Yeah, no, it was it, it was genuinely surreal. But the very next morning, that conference was shut down by the government authorities. Physically, they showed up with big, you yeah. know, thugs and padlocked the conference doors. So uh, they're not letting the Chinese people have the full realm of freedom um, right. when it comes to speech and religion. But they're letting them buy and sell, and at least that amount of freedom lets them eat, you know, and build mm-hmm. houses. And it is it is slowly creeping to the countryside. What's um, what's your it, take since you, now that you visited that country for and, and obviously a bunch of other countries to see how people live? What's your take on what's going on with the Hong Kong protests? Because initially they didn't want anybody to be. I guess, transported to the mainland and then suddenly disappear for political reasons. But now I'm seeing, even though these protests were going on for the last couple of weeks or so, that the people who are protesting are saying, oops, we're sorry. Yeah, so it is more or less the same thing, but at a different sort of level. Hong Kong has enjoyed not only a high degree of, of economic freedom, capitalism, for you know 50 years, starting under British rule and continuing after the Chinese takeover, the Chinese are trying to do in Hong Kong what they're trying to do at a different scale in China, and that is uh, allow a free economy but control the political system. Because they see that political freedom, voting, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, they, they see that as a threat to their to their status. And, and they're not wrong <laughs> to think this way, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're trying to basically align China and Hong Kong, allow a market economy. They're really not interested in messing up the market economy side of Hong Kong, but they want to start controlling the speech and, and press like they do in the mainland. You know, it's and funny. Hong um, Kong, of course, are not, not having it. They've, they've been mm-hmm. living under, you know, basically. Yeah, they're not uh, used to it, to having this uh, iron fist, I, I guess, come down on them. But, you know, since unfortunately we gave Hong Kong back essentially to the communists, uh, that's eventually going to creep in there. Yeah, I'm afraid it's going to be. I mean, I, I don't, I, you know, the, the thing is, that creep goes both ways. Uh, the, the Chinese authorities, um, they're really worried about Hong Kong's political and free speech and political freedom spreading to the mainland. So actually, we have kind of a race here. Which is going to spread faster? Is the Chinese repression going to spread to Hong Kong, or is the Hong Kong freedom going to spread to China? And I'm actually kind of on the fence as to which way this is going to go. I know the Chinese authorities are going to try to push it um, in their direction, but... Um, you know, freedom is infectious. And once some people start getting freedom, it's going to be hard for them to, to bottle it up in just exactly. Hong Kong. And, you know, when I, when I went to uh, Moscow, I was much younger and I really wasn't that political. I was in rock and roll radio. But I got to tell you, 
we we actually met Billy Crystal there uh, about the third or fourth day in. There were only like two hotels you could stay in. And we were there for the Moscow Music Peace Festival, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, John Bon Jovi. Billy Crystal was filming some special there. And we said to, I mean, at this point, we're eating out of tuna fish cans. There wasn't even a McDonald's at Red Square then. I mean, you could not find food in yeah. Moscow, really. And we were eating cafeteria style with all the bands because they were smart enough. They, they trucked the food in from England. So we're talking to Billy Crystal and we go, you know, he goes to us, how long have you been here? And we said three days. He goes, no, not long enough. And we're thinking he's going to say, not long enough. You got to be here for a couple weeks before you really appreciate it. He goes, no, you got to be here for at least a week before you find out how much it truly sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. So, you know, in Cuba, and Cuba's not awful. Uh, the title of that chapter is Subsistence Socials, and Cubans aren't starving. It's not really uh, on a day to day basis a police state. You don't see, you know, secret agents or, you know, police on every corner or anything like that. Um, but my God, after a few days there, I'm like, can you please give me some salt, some pepper, some Tabasco, something that wow. has flavor? Because uh, the food, it, it's, it's rice and beans and, and chicken and whatever, but it is so unbelievably bland that after a few days, uh, it's really quite, you're like, you know, please, is there anything to eat that doesn't taste the same? Um, you know, if you go to a little Havana in Miami, uh, it turns out Cuban food is great. It just sucks in Cuba. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's great in Miami. I, you know, the flavors <laughs> are plentiful and it's fantastic. Uh, but yes, it took, at first when we got to Cuba, it didn't feel too bad. It felt like a normal sort of poor Caribbean island, you know, Dominican Republic or Jamaica or something. But, but again, after a few days, you, you really do start to notice that, again, it's that sameness. Every day is the same. Every meal is the same. Um, and that really gets old. And it's something that in a market economy, even a poor market economy like, say, the Dominican Republic, you don't see that, that degree of sort of monotony. Um, like you do in a socialist country. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking to Bob Lawson. He's the co-author of the book, Socialism Sucks. Now, that's a real easy book title for you people to remember. When you go to Amazon.com, do a search for it. This is a book where two economists have traveled to what is labeled as unfree world, socialist, communist countries, and uh, and they drank their way through having to deal with it. Um, Bob, let me ask you this. After uh, a little over two years of Donald Trump being in office, from an economist perspective, rate the job that he is doing. Now, clearly Barack Obama feels that Trump is doing a great job because uh, Obama set him up to do so. Can you either verify that claim or dispel it, but also do a little grading uh, from your perspective on how Trump is doing with the U.S. economy? Well, that's a toughie. Um, you know, I think all presidents get too much credit when things are good and too much blame when things are bad. They're not nearly as important as we, we might think they are. I agree. Obama's not totally wrong. You know, what you inherit, <laughs> uh, you can't you can't control that. And, and so but um you know, uh, President Trump, I think I, I don't think I'm he is hard to grade. Uh, I'm a professor, so I like to give my students, you know, quizzes and exams. And one of the things when you do that, you have to put weights. So the quizzes are worth 10 percent. The exams worth 25 percent or whatever. It really depends on how I weight things, because there are some things about the Trump administration that I just love. I love the deregulations that have, mm -hmm. that have occurred. The tax bill was fantastic. 
Um, I mean, there there are all kinds of things that most people never hear about, regulatory changes that only affect an industry here or there, but the people in that industry are just singing the praises of that that relaxation of this this or that stupid regulation. Um, you know, I gotta I'd be honest. If I was grading him on his persona and his Twitter account, he gets an F. I I, I hate the crassness. He's he's frankly I hate to say he's unpresidential frequently. You know, but then on the other hand, I see some of the things that I love. So if I want to grade things, uh, it depends on how I how I weigh them. I, I have I have serious as a professional economist. I'm a free trader. I have serious uh, reservations about the protectionist move that Trump has moved us in tariffs, and I don't believe uh, the, that um, strategic trade wars are a good idea. So he gets a pretty, he gets a D maybe on that one. Uh, and I'm uh, more sympathetic to immigration than than the president by a long shot. So those are low scores. So high scores on taxes and regulation, from my point of view, low scores on trade policy and immigration policy. I don't even know. Uh, it really depends on, on what morning I wake up. Some mornings I'm thinking, hey, this guy isn't too bad. I can't, he's okay. And then next morning I'm like, I hate this guy. Um, he's unlike other presidents um, where pretty much every morning I woke up, I didn't like Obama. Uh, there was very few moments where I was like, oh, that guy's not bad. He was almost always bad um, from my point of view. Um, Trump is just is really hard. And, and, you know, and this may be a feature, maybe it's a bug, but he, he vacillates so much. Uh, on on issues, it's kind of hard for me to peg him down. That's a political answer to your question. I okay, really and 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 I appreciate it most certainly. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether or not you saw the two Democrat debates that took place last week. If you did, um, my question would be: How the hell, as as an economist, are we supposed to even remotely afford? any of the stuff that they're talking about doing and continue to be a prosperous country. And with regard to immigration, how the hell do you, how, how do you afford open borders? How do you afford asylum laws that we have in place when people that are here illegally are sucking so hard off the teat of the American people? Well, you know, um, it, 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 the Democratic Party, I didn't watch any of the debates. I, I, I literally went to a bar. <laughs> yeah, you should. That was probably and, and, a better use of your time. Well, I can recap it real quickly. Everything yeah, needs yeah. to be free. Free, Let's free, Let's take free. all the guns away from everybody, yeah. and tan yeah. is the new black. And all the illegals yeah. get Medicare for free. Yeah, everything, that, everything we like should be free, and everything we don't like should be banned. It's basically the attitude of the Democratic Party nowadays. Right. Um, so, uh, but how do we afford yeah, it? How, how can it possibly yeah. be something that can be afforded? Right. So, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of these Democrats are holding up the Nordic model. And, and again, I, as I emphasized with Sweden, it's not socialism, but the taxes are extraordinarily high. I mean, th- these kinds of plans um, uh, would require massive increases in taxes, uh, you know, on the order of 50 percent increases. So, you know, the U.S. government right now, including state and local, they take maybe a third of our income and spend it on, on whatever they spend it on. We're talking about taking that to 50 percent instead of a third. I mean, a massive increase. I would um, thought it would but, even be more than 50 percent. I think Sweden's well, up around 70, isn't it? No, no, no. Sweden's around 50. Oh, yeah, okay. it depends. But uh, and, and the problem is it's hard to get much higher than that. People just stop working and stuff. So but I mean, in a sense, you can afford it. But I'll tell you, in 1960, Sweden... And the United States had the same income level, the same standard of living by all measurements. And the governments were about the same. 
And since 1960, Sweden's government went on a just went crazy. Ours went crazy too, but less crazy. And Sweden today is about 20% lower income than the United States. Over time, uh, the economy loses its vitality and strength and grows less quickly. And you don't notice it right away. You know, the difference between a 2% or or 3% growth rate and a 1% growth rate isn't that great in a year. But over a generation, two or three generations, I mean, these kinds of plans, which sound so great today, are the kinds of plans that will literally, you know, impoverish our children, our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's true. You can raise taxes and pay for all these new goodies, and we won't have to live in caves tomorrow. But our economy will slow, and we will uh, uh, we'll be, we'll be leaving to our children uh, a, a less prosperous place. Well, it's not, now, less prosperous is a nice way of putting it. I think we're on the yeah. way to Venezuela if Hillary Clinton yeah, no. were elected. Hey, uh, you know and, what, Bob? And in I, the limit. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. In the limit, um, you you can go negative, and that's what certainly what's happened in, in Venezuela. We went to Venezuela. It's the probably the most horrific thing I've ever seen with my eyes. Yeah. And and that um, is what happens sorry. when you have a total collapse and and a, yeah. a communist that takes over that uh, apparently doesn't really care about his people. Hey, Bob. The one thing that when you're talking about. Socialism sucks, and two economists drink their way through the unfree world. Let's talk about Britain, obviously a freer world, but they have terrible beer, and they drink it warm. Oh, now, I've been to England a lot of times. I've had good beer there now, okay. and it's not always warm. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, All right. Especially nowadays, uh, just like the United States, you know, in the 1970s, we had a pretty poor variety of beer, thanks to government regulation that limited uh, home brewing and craft brewing and, and, and protected the big uh, distributors, the big companies. Um, since we've relaxed that in the United States, we've seen our beer market go crazy. And the same thing's actually happened in England. You go there to now, it's, you know, you'll see 30 bar, bar tap pools with, you know, all kinds of beer from all over the world. And, 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 and except for a couple of them where they, they have that weird warm thing. Um, most of them are, are chilled quite nicely. <laughs> All right, let's go. All right, we've only, we've only got a couple of minutes. I want to throw something at you from out in left field. Are you familiar with the Cloward-Piven strategy? I am not. All right. Well, we don't have time to get into it. Maybe we can do that on, uh, on, in, in another segment that we uh, bring you back for. It basically, in short, uh, is designed to collapse the economy of a country from within. You, from within, by overburdening that economy uh, with the welfare state. Uh, the, the end result is what would be normally the wealthy, a huge middle class, and poverty then turns into an elite class and a large second class that is a combination. Because, you know, clearly the the weight of a welfare state is falling on the middle class. It essentially makes haves and have nots. And then the rich come in and take over the way they think it should be taken over. Which is exactly what we don't have time to get into it. If you don't mind, just dig into that a little bit. Next time we have you back, maybe we can jump into that. And I'd love to get your opinion of it uh, from your perspective. Especially as an economist, I'd like you to throw that out to your students and see what they think. The Cloward and Piven strategy. But uh, Bob Lawson, we are out of time, unfortunately. You are the co-author, along with your friend Benjamin Powell, of Socialism Sucks, 
Two economists drink their way through the free world. So through the unfree world, I should say. And that in and of itself basically tells it in a nutshell. These unfree world, if the beer sucks and the drinks suck, then you know it's an unfree world. Basically because everything that's uh, open in a a society is a lack of choice. There's no competition. We take it for granted here. Uh, You can find the book Socialism Sucks on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all the usual spots. And Bob, I usually end with a quote, and this quote actually is from Don Nguyen, something he posted after watching the debates. Black Americans have outlived their usefulness to the Democrat Party. Tan is the new black. Once black Americans acknowledge this, basically that the Democrats have done nothing for them for the last three or four decades, the Democrats will never again occupy the White House, control the Senate or the House. Black Americans hold a very powerful hand of cards. Will they play their hand wisely? Boy, Don, that really is deep from a cowboy. Didn't expect to have something like that come from me, huh? No, I didn't. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on Cowboy Logic Radio. And everybody, thank you so much for listening. That concludes another show for this week. We will see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. And in the meantime, God bless America. been listening to Cowboy Logic Radio. Unfiltered, politically incorrect common sense. Find us on the web at CowboyLogic.us and join our Facebook group, Cowboy Logic Restoring America Forum. That's Cowboy Logic Radio. Unfiltered, politically incorrect common sense. the seditious, rabble-rousing, liberty-loving, home of fun, entertaining, and compelling talk. Mojo Five O. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.